Welcome to this extra show of an echo of glory. Joining us today is Premier League commentator Gary Taphouse. Gary, thanks for joining us again. Hey guys, how are we doing? We're good, thank you. So I wanted to tap into the life of a commentator, see what it's like on match day and just how you prepare for games, but I want to take it all the way back. Can you let us know how you got into it, where it all started for you? Well, it's it's funny because my boys, my two teenage boys are at an age now where I was when I decided I wanted to be a commentator. My, my eldest is 16, my youngest is 14. And by that age, I was like, this is absolutely what I want to do. And, and it all started for me by watching um, the World Cup in Italia 90. Um, I, I watched every single game, even if it meant, you know, watching it at school or bunking off. And, um, <laughs> nice. And I remember saying to my dad, um, you know, these guys, these guys commentating, you know, Barry Davis, Motti, Brian Moore, you know, is this their job? Do they do this for a living or is this like some sideline? And, and he said, no, I'm sure this is what they do full time. And I, I just couldn't believe that that was someone's job. I just thought this is incredible. So I made it my mission to, to be a commentator. Now, obviously, you, we can all have dreams, but you need a lot of luck along the way. Um, and you need to grasp those opportunities. And for me, it, I was at uni actually in Bournemouth and um, I was living in a house with four others. And one of the girls I was living with was going out with a cameraman from a local production company, a much older guy. And I happened to overhear him talking on his mobile phone. This was mid nineties and no, no one had a mobile phone, <laughs> uh, but he did. And um, I overheard him saying that they'd got the contract to film Bournemouth's home matches this is when they were third tier with no money. Um, and the commentator they were using was a vice president of the club. And he wasn't very good. He was very biased. He was slating the referees, blah, blah, blah. And they wanted someone a bit more professional. So I just went straight in and said, I, I couldn't help overhearing your conversation. <laughs> um, this is something I've always wanted to do. So um, is there any chance? And he said, well, why don't you come to the next game, which was against Bristol Rovers? This is a 96, 97 season. Um, and, and we'll see how it goes. And it was literally one camera on this rickety old gantry at Dean Court and me on a normal microphone plugged into the side of the camera. I mean, real tin pot stuff. <laughs> but um, I gave it a go and they used to sell the VHS copies of those games in the club shop with my commentary on. And then I did the whole of the rest of that season and they asked me to write and present the end of season VHS video um, which went on sale in HMV in Bournemouth, which I just couldn't believe. <laughs> yeah. um, so in the loft, I've actually got a collection of like VHS tapes with those games on. Um, and that meant that I left uni, not just with my degree, um, but with, you know, physical proof that I could do the job. Um, I couldn't watch them now because it would probably sound absolutely dreadful, but um, it, was, it was a step on the road. And funnily enough, when I then got my first job in media, I thought I'd just walk into a job in sport. I didn't. I had to get a job on a local newspaper in South London um, working in news. And one of the first jobs I went to, we got a fax through from Crystal Palace saying we're launching um, a match day radio station. Can you send a reporter along to the launch um, in one of the executive boxes and, and report on it? So I went, I went along. And I listened to the, the commentary of during the game. It was against Blackburn. They'd just been promoted. This was 97, 98. I remember that. And I just thought, yeah, this isn't very good. I could definitely do better than this. <laughs> so I went to the head of the station and said, look, I've, I've just done this for Bournemouth. It's not radio, but I'll give it a go. 
Um, and he said, come along to the next game against Chelsea, which I did. And, and that's how it started. And of course, having done no radio at all, I'd written a little script. They queued to me really early when players were still in the tunnel. And I just ran out of things to say. I, I read my script and then there's just silence and they're on the talkback saying, uh, Gary, it's radio. You've got to keep talking. Um, so yeah, I learned that very quickly. Um, and I used to sit next to the reporter from Capital Gold, um, which of course, Jonathan Pierce and all yeah. of his guys winning yeah. Tony yeah. awards. And I was desperate to be a part of that because I was a voracious listener to Capital Gold every night. And um, of course I got talking to them and eventually they gave me a chance to report on a, an FA Cup game um, in the first round. It was Fulham against Northampton, I think. Um, and that's how it started. And, and one thing led to another. So, yeah, obviously a lot of luck there, but you've got to grasp those opportunities yeah. when they come your way. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how it began for me. I, I mean, I'd also say you have to uh, have a good voice as well, which obviously you tick that box. I just wondered how you without giving away trade secrets, because I know commentators uh, are very, uh, can be very uh, guarded about how they, but just in a general way, how how do you prep you personally without, you know, kind of giving away too many secrets, but how has it changed over the years? You just mentioned that you felt underprepped maybe for that first game. How, how has it maybe changed? Yeah. Have you refined it over the years? Well, two things. One, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> because 1997, you didn't get much help there. Rothmans. Um, and of course, secondly, you know, working for Sky Sports, um, you know, we have fantastic people. We've got a dozen full time stats people who work tirelessly to help us out. Um, and, you know, we get stat packs for every game, which is a huge help. It does uh, half the work for you. But it's worth remembering that those packs go to everyone on the OB. They go to, to the presenter, the reporter, the, the pundit. So you can't just rely on them because you're getting the same information as every, everyone mm. else. So um a lot of it involves talking to the people involved um trying to get a steer on how things are looking in the camp you know i'll talk to local media from those teams uh, particularly on a match day i'll get there really early and spend a lot of time talking to the people that cover those teams on a regular basis um just to get a feel for it really i'm not someone who spends ages with stats um it's not my thing um and that's because as a viewer a great stat is brilliant, but when you're just bombarded nonstop, I find it incredibly irritating and overwhelming. So um, over the years, I've kind of learned to say less, talk less and use fewer numbers. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's about the inside stories and, and adding to the pictures rather than just talking for the sake of it. And I think a lot of younger commentators, it takes them a long time to learn that. It certainly took me a very long time to learn that. My attitude was... I was being paid to talk, so I need to talk. Mm. Um, and actually, I read Barry Davis's book, and he said in there, um, you know, silence is golden, and actually not talking can be just as important as, as saying the right thing at the right time. Um, so, you know, it, it can take a long time to understand that and learn it. Um, and I like to think that I talk a lot less than I used to, um, and that's just as important. You said your first game was way back in sort of 96, 97. How many are you up to now? Do you keep a count? You know what? I don't, I honestly don't know, but I mean, I do about 120 a season. Right. Um, wow. So I must be getting close to 2000. <laughs> I mean, that's TV and radio. Because yeah. um, I spent many years in radio, which I loved. I really enjoyed working in radio. Um, 
but obviously TV pays more. <laughs> so, <laughs> and is there a difference, Gary, for the layman so, who wouldn't know, commentating on radio, TV, very different. Obviously, people can see the TV, they can't see the radio. How different is that? Yeah, well, you're doing a totally different job. You know, for radio, you are telling people what they can't see, which is everything. So where's the ball? Who's got the ball? Um, and actually, I found that you do a lot less prep for radio because you don't really have the time to go through the in-depth stuff. Um, whereas, of course, with TV, everyone can see who's on the ball and what's happening. So you're trying to add to those pictures. And that's where those really key stats come in, where you might only have two or three a game, but they really do help to tell the story. And obviously, that's where the COCOM comes in with the background and, and analysing the tactics, which you might miss. And sometimes it's really interesting when you're a commentator and you're so engrossed in the action, you don't notice when perhaps two people have switched sides or the shape might have changed slightly. And that's the COCOM's job. So, um, so yeah, radio and TV, very, very different. And actually, not so long ago, I was doing both. And um, it's not easy to flip between the two. Mm. Um, I haven't done any radio now since 2019. And it was a very memorable game. It was when um, Newport beat Leicester in the FA Cup. Oh, yeah. And um, we were actually seated basically amongst the fans. So the prep I had done, I couldn't even use it because I was sitting like this. Um, <laughs> and it all just stayed on the floor. And it's amazing how you can do a whole 90-minute commentary with basically nothing but a team sheet. Mm. Um, just, you know, using your drawing on your experience. Um, so, yeah, there are obviously big, big differences. You've obviously been doing it for well over 20 years, Gary, but do you still get nervous and, and do you get nervous for you know bigger games or bigger derbies when you know there's potentially more people watching no i don't get nervous at all actually i when i did it at the start i mean um you know physically sick (laughs) (laughs) but no not anymore um but but you do still feel excited you know when when you're doing a live game so i do a lot of live efl and wsl and when you're you know that they're going to queue to you quite soon (laughs) The, the teams are in the tunnel and you do still get that huge rush of adrenaline um because you know you don't want to make some massive cock up which is going to go viral yeah <laughs> it's, the, it's the fear and um, how hard is it if, yeah, if, no, you... if, if on air you've you've made a bit of a cock up and you're aware of it and you've still got an hour left in the game he's how, not how's, done how's it. dealing with that he's not done Does it. That yeah, ever happen i wouldn't to you? know jake to be honest <laughs> <laughs> yeah no listen um i i've made i've made a few over the years and the best way to handle it in my opinion is to make a joke out yeah, of it yeah I did a game um, during uh, during lockdown at Peterborough. No fans in the stadium, and um, we did, we had a close up of Darren Ferguson, and I said Duncan Ferguson. I don't know why, <laughs> don't know where that came from, um, and all I could and I, I realised about ten seconds later, no one corrected me, and I just you know just made a joke of it, saying you know I really hope Duncan Ferguson doesn't hear it and <laughs> and I confront and confronts me. Um, I think it, the worst thing you can do is to ignore it yeah, and pretend yeah, yeah. it didn't happen because, you know, you will get pulled up and I would expect to get pulled up on social media for that. But I think if you acknowledge it, apologize yeah. and make a joke out of it, um, that's the best way to handle it. Because listen, where else in broadcasting do you do 90 minutes of unscripted talk a yeah, yeah. um, hundred times a season? Yeah. You know, it's it's you're going to make mistakes. Everyone makes clangers um and i think you've just got to remember it's entertainment it's not life and death let's ask you about those, co- about those covid games was there a sense that 
or did you know the players could hear you? Obviously, you know, a goal goes in, you're going loud. There's no one in the stadium. Were your voices reverberating around the stadium? Or how was that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also the managers, more importantly, mm. I, I, I did a game at Gillingham where we were right, literally right behind the dugouts. And I was acutely aware that the managers and the coaches could hear everything mm. we were saying. Um, and I think, I can't remember, was it Lincoln? They were two or three nil up. And um, their manager turned around and glared at us because, you know, we were saying this is not what the fans will want to see. And mm. I'm like, this is awful. This is really uncomfortable, but I'm not going to change what I would have said just yeah. because he's listening. Mm. <laughs> um, and, th and there was an incident as well in the um, Carabao Cup where at Bournemouth, where it went to a penalty shootout and one of the radio commentators <laughs> for TalkSport was saying, and here comes TalkSport's Andros Townsend up to take the... And, <laughs> and Andros Townsend was listening to every word and he said it just really increased the pressure because <laughs> I could actually hear my own penalty being commentated on. Yeah. Um, but I must admit, I didn't think about players hearing. Um, that whole that whole period is just something I'd rather forget, to be honest. Yeah. And it, it upsets me when I see clubs you know, tweeting goals from that period, however good those goals were, I just don't want to be reminded of yeah. watching football yeah. in empty stadiums. Yeah, to yeah. me, it was just so depressing. Yeah. I agree. Um, and as as, as, happy, as happy as I was to be working and as privileged as we were to be in those stadiums, doing those games, to me, it just wasn't real. It wasn't football. Yeah. Um, and thank God it didn't last more than the year it did. Yeah, similarly, I was lucky to be working on those games for the Premier League but I barely remember it it just seems to have been a moment in time that has just vanished well, from, most of the games were terrible yeah. weren't they let's yeah. be honest any of them were any good yeah. I yeah. can't remember any that I did that, that were memorable yeah well talking of memories then nice segue um, just through your potential Move. 2000 <laughs> those 2000 or so games quick, some quick fire questions um, best game you've worked on the most memorable yeah I mean it's, it's impossible to pick one, yeah. but if I had to, just off the top of my head, there was, um, when I was working in radio, I did Chelsea against Barcelona in Mourinho's oh. first spell when Ronaldinho scored that incredible yeah. goal yeah. at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Um, and it was 4-2 yeah. after a, 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 a comparatively cagey first leg. I'd been, I'd been in the new Camp commentating on that as well. And that game just took everyone by surprise. It was just unbelievable. Um, certainly one of the best atmospheres I've experienced there. Um, and you know what? I'd also have to pick Tottenham nine, Wigan one, oh, <laughs> because, oh, um, uh, and the reason being, it, you know, I'm sure you will remember the game, even though it was 2009, but it was only one nil at yeah. half time. Mm. And um, no one could have seen no. that coming. Um, <laughs> and I, I was commentating with Dean Sturridge and I said to him at half time, um, I can see this being, you know, two or three nil easily because... Um, you know, Tottenham are on top, but they only scored once. And he said, I've just got a feeling they're just going to completely collapse here. When I look at that back four, um, I can just see it all going horribly wrong. And of course, they had Eric Edman at well, left. I was going to say, friend of the show, we had, him on, yeah. we, we had him on and we talked about that. And that was a low moment in his career. Yeah. I actually mentioned on our pod recently, Gary, when we spoke to you that the Spurs Palace game, my now wife had dumped me that, that morning and we went to lose to Palace. That 9-1 against Wigan, we had got engaged on the Friday and I was a season ticket holder and I said to her, do you know what? I won't go to Spurs on Sunday and we'll do the whole family thing and you can go and show everyone the nice engagement ring. We'll do all of that stuff. Uh, she left the house about 12 o'clock to go and see her friend and, and didn't return until uh, close to full time. So I didn't go to that game. 
And it <laughs> wasn't on the telly. And it was in those days where it was very hard to find yeah. a stream. Uh, so, yeah, I wasn't there. So that's my memory of that game. <laughs> All of your romantic memories have a Tottenham edge to them as well. <laughs> well, we talked about this on the pod recently that we had a, we had a guy who'd written a book on Spurs in the nineties. He's got this incredible memory, and we were saying that all these events in my life, yeah, are linked to Spurs, mm. <laughs> not necessarily romantically, but yeah. Um, so other memories, but, you go- know, there's, there's still so many records from um, from that game. You know, eight goals in one half. Yeah. The first um, five. Jermaine Defoe, five goals in one half. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, and their goal should have been disallowed. I've got a lot of memories from Sean. post-match of there as well. Uh, yeah. Um, we had we had to we had to beg Jermaine to do the post-match interview. Um, he didn't want to do it. Um, he he wanted to go and see his mum in, in in his box. Oh, yeah. And I, I said, well, look, him. could you come back after that? Um, and I said, also, we've we've got to interview Aaron Lennon because. He was man of the match. It wasn't he got Defoe. Um, he, he was in, incredible. Yeah. But he sneaked out the fire exit in the dressing room. <laughs> he refused to do it. Wow. So we never got to interview the man of the wow. match um, after that game. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's one that's always, always going to stick with me. And I've, I've just got to say one more as well. Um, very early on in my Sky career, because um, I'd often get sent to what was on paper the worst game of the weekend because <laughs> I was the newbie. Um, they sent me to Portsmouth Reading in 2007, oh, and of yeah. course it ended up being 7-4. Seven seven four. Four. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, and it's still the there's still the most goals in a Premier League game ever, wow. even all these years later. Wow. Um, that was just insane, absolutely insane. And, and I had to interview about seven or eight players after. <laughs> Normally we might do one or two, but they just said, "Look, you've just got to interview as many players as you can, um, because they're they're not going to play in a game like that ever again, probably." So that's another one I'd add to the list. Which which co-commentator do you look forward to working with when you're, you don't you know you, you, yeah you know you're gonna say, say all of them all of them. <laughs> well, there must be a couple that you go honest, oh yeah well, that'd be that. I be thought you were gonna ask him which one he doesn't. No, I wouldn't. With. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be a good day. You know that that would be a good. Uh, I feel in safe hands with him alongside me. I I, I feel that about the vast majority. I've got to be honest mm. because if they've got to the stage where they yeah. are. Co-coms on Sky Sports, they're going to be yeah. people who yeah. know what they're talking about and know what they're doing. Um, you'd be amazed at how much work some of these guys do. Mm. Um, uh, I did games with Andy Hinchcliffe and Don Goodman, mm. and they turn up with more handwritten notes than I do. Mm. Um, the amount of work they do for every game is absolutely incredible, and they'll always talk to everyone involved. Um, so yeah, it's fantastic working with them. I've done about 250 games with Tony Gale. Oh, um, I love Tony. And yeah, I mean, honestly, as a broadcaster, for me, unparalleled. And he's just got so many inc- incredible stories, um, which uh, none of which I can share here because <laughs> it's not appropriate. But, um, <laughs> you know, he he always says, "I'm here to analyze a game of football. I don't need to know." Um, how much possession they had in their last game or um, how long it is since so-and-so scored. I want to analyse the game of football in front of me. And um, I, he, he reads the game as well as anyone. Um, so it's always a pleasure to work with him. But as I said, listen, I've, I've actually worked with quite a few new commentators over the last year. Sky have said to me, you know, if we've got a new person, would you mind talking them through what's involved and, and doing their first game? And, and that's that's been absolutely fantastic, and and it's not their first game ever. They've they've yeah, worked yeah. for other uh, other mediums or on radio, but um, it'll be their first like, Sky game. 
And um, I've really, really enjoyed that. And, you know, they would say, can you give me some feedback? And I've really enjoyed sort of guiding them through the process. So um, I've, I've kind of avoided answering your question. <laughs> no, 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 you did um, enough. I generally, I, I don't think there's anyone where I go, oh my God, I'm working with him. <laughs> so that that's the good thing. Um, I'll, I'll take it as red. Best stadium is, is, is the new Tottenham stadium. Best food, yeah. worst food. And well, what I'm actually really interested in, Gary, is the worst gantry. Normally there's an FA Cup story. You mentioned Rodney Parade there. Um, what the worst yeah. gantry you've been on? Had to well, climb well, up well that's easy. It, that, 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 and it's probably, you probably guess it, it's West Ham because <laughs> right, you're right. about three miles yeah. from the pitch. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, as much as I, um, as much as I love that stadium in a non-footballing capacity, um, it's it's not a football stadium. Um, and I, I tweeted a picture of our commentary position when I was there for the Bournemouth game. And honestly, you end up commentating off the screen a lot of the time. You are so far from the pitch. Um, and I was someone that absolutely loved working at Upton Park. What a stadium! Um, what an atmosphere! Uh, what a gantry. I mean, I was devastated when they left that place um, for something completely different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listen, I, 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 li I like the match day at West Ham. I just don't like the actual commentary position. It's just, it's so, so far back. And if there's a goal mouth scramble or something, you really are just like, what is going on here? I haven't got a clue. Um, luckily, with my contacts in, I've got 2020 vision. Um, <laughs> but if you are struggling in that department, then West Ham is not the place for you. Gary, just taking it back to Spurs, do you have any, you know, most memorable Spurs games and most memorable Spurs goals? I assume Deli Ali against Crystal Palace 2016. Well, I, well you is up took there. the words out of my mouth there. Um, yeah, I mean, incredible. That that that's probably the one that people mention to me more than anything. Is that Deli Ali goal? Um, I was there with Ray Houghton and um, I can just, it's one of those moments I can really vividly remember because um, obviously Ray, an incredible goal scorer and playmaker, and he knew what was happening long before it went in. And he actually grabbed my arm, which he never, never normally did. <laughs> um, and, and even as he was juggling the ball, he knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, and if you listen to Ray's commentary, I think it's absolutely spot on. Um so yeah, that that's one that um, that people always ask me about. Funnily enough, um, but yeah, I, I seem to be at a lot of Jermaine Defoe's big moments as well, um, like his hat trick up at Hull. I remember, yeah, um, that brilliant, uh, and and not just at Tottenham, Port, Portsmouth as well. He scored a brilliant lob for Pompey once, and, and his first goal I was there against. Um, I remember was it against Chelsea possibly um and then obviously that uh, brilliant goal he got uh, against West Ham at White Hart Lane I was commentating on oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. and those five goals at, uh, against Wigan yeah. so um I, I, he was on goals on Sunday um a few years ago and and they they went through his top 10 goals and I think I was commentating on seven of them yeah. <laughs> which wow. was incredible <laughs> um and he wouldn't even give you an so, interview yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. um so yeah, no, I've had I've had a lot of great um, great Tottenham moments actually, and I, like I say at the moment, I just really look forward to mm. visiting. I don't look forward to getting away afterwards. It's a nightmare. <laughs> but yeah. I very much look forward to to visiting the stadium yeah. and and seeing Ange Ball. Yeah, just quickly then, what best food? And actually, more interested in worst food. Uh, uh, oh, but, but best food is Chelsea. Yeah. Right. And um, what happened there was when Abramovich took over. Um, some of the Chelsea bigwigs went to Manchester City for a home game and 
they were like, wow, this is what you give the media. We've got to better it. And they gave the contract to this um, high-end catering company, and it was transformed overnight. Um, and it, even when uh, Abramovich obviously left, as he did, that contract was ongoing. So um, the club was strapped for cash, but the media was still getting these banquets. <laughs> um, it, it's brilliant to go there. Worse, I mean, it's a Premier League requirement to provide hot food to the media these days. It's one it, it, when the clubs get promoted, they get a booklet this thick with um, with regulations and requirements, and that is one of them. Um, so it's difficult to pick a worse one in the Premier League because we're kind of treated really well wherever we go. Mm. Obviously, when you then do EFL, it changes. Bring your own if you sandwich. The same, forget yeah. it. <laughs> but it. But it's so much more real. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, Gary, really, really great uh, to talk to you. Get your insight, and people can understand what it's like or hear what it's like to be a commentator. Here's to another 2,000 games, and we really appreciate you coming on.